Who would have thought when you first heard that Harry Styles song on the radio, you'd be hearing it in church a few months later, right? Well, when I was an elementary school kid, uh, my parents sent me to summer camp up in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. I don't remember much about the camp. Lake Geneva was about an hour from our house. I knew it was a Christian camp, and, and I remember uh, swimming in the lake and uh, archery and some kind of crafts that I did not do very well. I've never been all that crafty. But what I remember most was the night that we decided to stay up in our cabin and tell ghost stories. Uh, for those of you who have been to camp, you know ghost stories are part of the camp experience when you're a kid, right? Uh, sometimes around a fire, uh, sometimes sitting on your bunk bed in your cabin with flashlights pointed up to your face. And that night, about eight of us and our counselor decided we would tell scary stories. Uh, I am sure they're the same ones you heard growing up, uh, the vanishing hitchhiker. Um, the one about the young couple making out on an old desolate road near an insane asylum where someone has just escaped who has a hook for a hand and it ends with a scratching on the, on the roof of the car. Uh, the, one about, the one about the babysitter who keeps getting scary calls telling her to what? Check on the children, right? Turns out the calls are coming from another line inside the house. Do any of you remember that one? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh, by the way, that story doesn't work today now that we have cell phones. There are new generations of kids who will never know the joy of knowing the horror of finding out the killer was already in the house. <laughs> so many great stories, and uh, we had all taken our chance to share. I think every kid had a chance to tell a story. When our adult counselor asked, do you want to hear something really scary? And we said, yes, please, grown-ups must have the scariest stories of all. And it was then that our counselor pulled out his Bible and <laughs> opened up to the very back, the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, and proceeded to scare the heck out of us. He told us that we were living in the end times and that the Bible had an entire book about what would happen in the end times that very soon a massive earthquake would reduce humanity to living in caves. And then one at a time, seven angels would appear and they won't look like beautiful movie angels. They'll be horrifying. They'll look like monsters and one will pull out a trumpet and when it blows its horn, hail and fire will rain down on the earth and burn up all the trees and the grass. And then another angel will pull out a trumpet and the oceans will turn to blood. And then another angel will blow and the rivers and lakes will become poisoned. And when he finished the story about the seven trumpets, he told us that the devil was going to come to all of us and somehow require every human to tattoo themselves with what he called the mark of the beast and that we should resist because if we have this mark on us, then Revelation talked about oozing sores that would appear on your body as punishment for taking the mark. Um, if I recall, it led to a bunch of us kids questioning him, what's the mark? How do I know I don't already have the mark? Um, I, I remember thinking about my mom's smallpox vaccine scar on her arm and thinking, my mom might have the mark. <laughs> there were many more stories from Revelation where that came from. I think it took hours, or at least it seemed like it did. But where we ended was with him saying, all these terrible things are going to happen soon. And the way we know is by looking at the signs. So many things in our world are the sign of the times. Um, I left Lake Geneva scared to death 
grateful that I was a Christian, I was one of the forgiven people, motivated to make sure that everybody else I knew would also become forgiven so that they wouldn't have to go through these plagues and asking my parents to not send me back to that camp with the scariest of ghost stories and happy to just go back to being a kid again. But the truth is, it wasn't just at camp that I would encounter the book of Revelation. It was in my Bible that I brought with me to church every Sunday morning or that I would read in my bedroom. And as, as I got older, I realized that people loved to talk about the book of Revelation in churches. People loved to hear about the end times, especially teenagers in youth ministry. Um, there were three topics that our teenagers loved when our youth pastors would speak on them. Sex, the end times, and will there be sex in the end times? Those three were the topics we could not get enough of. And, and there would be much more teaching out of Revelation over the coming years in my life. And there would be movies that I would see. Hollywood is not ignored entertaining us with its version of what it finds in the book of Revelation. And I tell you all that to say this morning that as much as I would have loved to avoid Revelation, it kept finding me. And my guess is it keeps finding you. And I, and I wonder what your relationship to Revelation has been. Maybe you are fascinated by it, but maybe you have ignored it. Maybe you've neglected it. It's understandable. I think lots of us ignore Revelation because it seems its purpose is to scare people into obedience. And, and we don't typically open our Bible for the purpose of becoming scared. And I think a lot of us neglect Revelation because we're embarrassed by it. Or, or really, we're embarrassed by the way that it's been used. Um, we don't want to be associated with all the things I just mentioned, uh, or more dragons and beasts. Uh, that stuff feels like fantasy. In fact, bad fantasy. And I am trying to be a credible witness to people of what a Christian can be. It's a big enough stretch for my friends and family to know that I believe in a Jesus who walked on water and rose from the grave. If I start talking about dragons, I am going to lose all credibility. Or, or, or maybe you've struggled with it because you just can't understand it. If you've ever flipped through the book of Revelation, it is weird. It is full of images, these bizarre images. And, and, and I don't like reading things that I don't understand. And I don't mean that we're not smart enough to understand. I mean, much of it reads like it wasn't even meant to be understood. Look, I get it. I get why we ignore, we neglect the book of Revelation. Lots of good reasons to disregard it. But here's the problem. God gave us the book of Revelation, which means he has something for you in it. Think about that. If we believe that the Bible is God's message to humanity, and, and we do, it's, 50, it's why 52 Sundays a year you will hear us standing here teaching out of it. It's why so many of you commit to studying it in a group during the week. If we believe that it is God's message, don't you kind of want to know this part of his message? God has something for you in the book of Revelation. And actually, I believe what's even more important than that, what he has very much has to do with something relevant to the times that we are in. I, I actually think the book of Revelation couldn't be better suited to what we see happening in our world in 2023. When I say that God has something for you in Revelation, I also mean God has something especially significant to people who live in our time. But let me clarify, it's not because I think this book was written about 2023. 
It's because the 21st century has some things happening in it that are very reminiscent of things happening around 100 AD when this book was written. Well, like what? What do I mean by that? What's so similar? All right, like religion trying to form an empire. Like fractures within Christianity, the people of God cannot seem to get along with each other. Like faith becoming an afterthought for a person who was once wholly committed. Like people in society who are at war with each other over their ideology. There's a lot of things addressed addressed in Revelation that can address the things that are happening in you and around you every single day in our world. And again, the things happening in you. And and while in the next three weeks, we're not going to be able to take a deep dive into the book of Revelation, which would take like six months or more. We are going to take you beyond where maybe 90% of you have ever been with this book. And I'm going to show you over the next three weeks some themes in Revelation that matter for you today. And and the first one we're going to find is in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. Um, Before we read from these chapters together, I want to give you some tools this week to help you know how to read Revelation responsibly, because we can't just jump in without having some tools, some knowledge. So a few things out of the book of Revelation. Um, It has traditionally been believed that this book was written by the apostle John, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Now that's important to know. Uh, John was the disciple who was always described as the one closest to Jesus. And this is many years later. He's been going around telling people about Jesus, starting churches. But there is a problem. And it's that John has been arrested by the Romans under a campaign of persecution. And here's, here's, here's what I mean by that. There is a Roman emperor at the time named Domitian who was especially cruel. Here's a bust of him that's at a museum outside of Turkey. In fact, I want to make sure you get his name. It's really, really important. Um, I think he did have a nose. I saw the look on my wife's face just now. Uh, I think he did have a nose. That fell off. But let's let's make sure you get his name, okay? Uh, I'm going to say Domitian, and then you say it, all right? Domitian. 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 You don't have to keep saying it. I was just, I just meant once. Now, when I say that he was cruel, uh, let me explain that. Let me just, let me, okay. You tell me if you think this is cruel. Domitian killed his own brother. Uh, he, He put to death Roman senators because he wanted their estates. He would catch flies just so he could stab them with pens. Is that cruel yet? He, he started gladiator fights between women and dwarfs and he hated Christians. He outlawed Christianity. He he actually officially titled himself God the Lord in Rome and had people call him that, God the Lord, as well as Lord of the Earth and, and the Holy One and the Invincible One. The idea was everybody should worship this guy on the screen. All civilization should revolve around Domitian and Rome. Um, have you heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? It's because Rome was the center of the universe in the Roman Empire. So why not worship the guy who's in charge of it? Okay, Domitian made a law that the only way that you could be exempt from punishment as a Christian was if you would renounce your religion. And to win the public over to this plan, he made things up. Um, If there's a famine, oh, it's the Christian's fault. Disease, Christians did something wrong to cause this pandemic. Earthquakes, we have too many Christians. And the more he put this propaganda out there throughout the Roman Empire, the more informers there would hear it and they would go tell the government, oh, well, I, I know of some Christians. Here's my brother-in-law. Here's, here's a guy that I work with. 
Once you were arrested, you would be tortured. You might be killed. This is the persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire under the reign of Domitian. And that is what John finds himself caught up in. That's what's happening when the book of Revelation is written. Now, for some reason, John gets exiled to this island of Patmos. Patmos was a small, rocky prison island where Roman criminals were sent to serve out their sentences in incredibly harsh conditions. There were mines on the island that they were forced to work in if you were on Patmos. And this is where John goes. And he writes this book, this letter to the churches, where while he is in this place in exile, um, now, this is the cave that John was supposedly held in where he was said to have written this book. Um, they've built a church around that cave now. And what I'll tell you today, Padmas, Padmas actually seems like a really lovely vacation destination. Um, here's a killer beach resort that has sprung up on the island of Patmos. You can get a room with an ocean view for $145 a night this week on Patmos. And here is what happens in this book. John has a vision of Jesus, and he writes his vision down very descriptively, and he sends it in a letter to churches, and the Christians who are in hiding, right, that are in the middle of all this persecution, get these letters. Now, this is important background that plays into some tools that you can use as you read Revelation, because as I said before, oftentimes, people think the book of Revelation is, is, is about what is frequently called the end times. It's about the future and what's gonna happen when the world someday comes to an end, when Jesus comes back, when the moon turns red, uh, when whatever Nicolas Cage, Bruce Willis, Kirk Cameron disaster movie you last saw, when those things in those movies start to happen, that's what Revelation is all about, predicting those end times. But I just feel like it's really important to say and for you to know, to a person reading this back then, John was describing their present world. Nobody picked this book up and said, wow, I wonder when these bad things will start to happen. They already were. So, so just as, as an example, if you've ever read this or heard parts of it, when John says in this book that in his vision, a beast will attack Christians or is attacking Christians, maybe you've heard that before, a beast in the book of Revelation, the people reading this back then did not ask each other, when will a beast come and hurt people? What year will that happen to signify the end of the world? Because that was happening to them right then. The beast was who? Domitian. In fact, some scholars say that Domitian had earned a nickname among the Greeks and the Jews and the Christians, and guess what his nickname was? The Beast. So the first tool is you read Revelation. No, it was a commentary on current events that are now ancient events. And this is important, this is really important to the readers at the time and to the writer. It is likely he was talking about things that were happening right then. This was a current event commentary. Now, as I said before, that doesn't mean it's not relevant for today. Incredibly relevant for today. But, second tool. Know that as you read Revelation, often it refers back to the Old Testament. If you are gonna understand Revelation or understand it better, is probably the best way for me to say that, you're gonna need to know some things from the Old Testament. Now in a minute, with the first theme I'm gonna show you, we're gonna do that. Uh, help you see a connection in it to some Old Testament things. And then the third tool, it has to do with imagery. What is the deal with all the weird imagery? Well, there are many who believe that this is a book that was written in code. 
Think about this. In light of what you now know about what was happening in the Roman Empire at the time, Christians in hiding, people being killed for their faith, people informing on each other, if you were gonna write a letter to Christians to encourage them and say, hang in there, God wins in the end, how do you make sure that the letter doesn't get confiscated or get people in trouble? I mean, you're gonna send this letter off of a prison island. How's it gonna get to people? And, and let's say they somehow get it as a message in a bottle. How do they keep it when people are out there looking for Christians and people talking about Jesus and God? Do you say, hey, don't worry churches, God's gonna make sure Domitian gets him, he will strike him down, gets his. You can't write that. Because whoever has that letter from John in their possession, the letter will be destroyed and the person will be destroyed. So John writes a lot of this in code that only Christians at that time would have understood. And guess what? Every so often, scholars will uncover a little bit of the code from way back then. Like what I just told you about Domitian's nickname. But we will never understand all this imagery in this book without having a decoder ring or a decoder book, and we don't. So the third tool, it's written in code. And while we might know some of the code right now, and we might know more in 20 years and more in 100 years, lots of it we don't know. When someone tells you they know for sure what all the imagery means in, in the book of Revelation, you can ask them, oh, did you find the first century code book somewhere? Are you Indiana Jones? finding the lost mysteries of the universe. Most of this imagery, it meant something to the reader back then and a lot of it only they know. Okay, well then what is the point of the book? Why even put this in the Bible if it's written in a code and we can't understand it? Because it's brilliant. And because even though you can't understand the code, you can understand the messages. And I wanna help you understand a few of those very relevant messages today. So let's read from it. We're gonna read from chapter four this morning. John writes about his vision in chapter four, verse one, take a look, we'll put it up. It says this, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. This is part of the vision. And the voice that I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. John tells the people who are going to be reading this letter that he has a vision of a throne, and somebody is sitting on it. He doesn't name who that is. He doesn't say, God, the only true God, is sitting on the throne. Why not? Because what's going to happen to the people who have this letter in their possession if John says anybody other than Domitian is on a throne? Will they even get the letter? Okay, look at verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, that is a weird image, a throne surrounded by 24 other thrones. We're going to come back to that. Verse 6. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back, and each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He goes on to say, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down 
They fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever and they lay their crowns before that throne in the center. Okay, that chapter has a lot of imagery. And now is the part where I give you a test to see if you were able to retain all of the images and all the numbers. Kidding, we're not gonna do that. But let's talk about that. Why in the world would John want his readers to know about this vision he has of God on a throne? And why does this throne have to be surrounded by 24 other thrones? And why do people on those thrones eventually start worshiping the person on the main throne? Why do they lay their crowns before the main throne? Because the early Christians were wondering where God was. Why is Domitian winning? Why does it seem like he is on the throne and he's causing all of us to have to bow down to him and if not, we lose our lives? And, and, and I wonder, maybe, maybe you could ask the same thing in your life, your, your world in 2023. Why does it seem like evil is winning? Always. I thought that God promised us he will be with us and he'll be victorious. And I look at my life and it seems like things are against me. In fact, I thought the Bible said, if God is for us, who can be against us? The truth is, it feels like there's a lot of things against us. My health is against me. Um, this week, I had the hearing go out in my right ear. Literally could not hear anything through my right ear for a few days. My body sometimes feels like it's against me. And aging is against me. And gravity is against me. And, and I feel like people can be against me. You know somebody who you feel is kind of against you. Uh, think of the last time you applied for a job that you didn't get or, or a promotion that you didn't get. Um, here, think of inflation and how your pension check covers a lot less today than it did five years ago or, or, or your social security. Doesn't it seem like something's against you? Uh, students in here who have finals this week or you have them next week, uh, your teachers are for you. Let me just say that. They are not against you, but the pressure, the pressure feels like it is against you. And where is God? Why does it seem like so many other things are on the throne? And what John says here is they are not. They may be sitting on one of those 24 other thrones, but even they will bow and worship the one who is on the main throne, and that is God. I think of that song that Derek has taught us recently, um, what John is writing to them is, my God is still in control. Still he reigns on his throne. Though mountains may tremble and sea billows roll, I'll sing it as well with my soul because my God is still in control. That is a reference to Revelation 4. My God still reigns on the throne. And one of the messages or the themes that we find in Revelation, you're gonna find this theme all three weeks. You're gonna see it all throughout this book. God is still in control. Now, remember that thing I told you about Domitian seeing himself as the center of the universe? One of the things that John is saying with these thrones surrounding the main one, God is at the center, not Domitian. Domitian is on the periphery surrounding God. Every other throne that you can think of, at best, it sits in a circle around his throne. In other words, Christians in hiding who are reading this, Rome is not in control of our world, God is. And someday all the other people who claim to be in control, even they will lay their crowns before God. 
And I wonder this morning if that is something you need to hear. Because other things feel like they are in control. No, you are not on the island of Patmos like John, although $145 a night. But you've got some things that feel like they're in control. And I, I wonder if God has a message for you today. No, I am still in control. And a day is coming, it's what's next, which is how John opens this chapter. A day is coming where that will be very apparent. Now, let me show you another theme today that is closely related to this one, and we see it in chapter five, because the vision continues, all right? Look at verse one from chapter five. It says, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. God on the throne holding something in his hand. It's a scroll. It's got writing on both sides. No one is able to open it. That's important. Verse four, John writes, I wept and wept because no one was found who's worthy to open the scroll or look inside. God's got a message for it. Nobody can open it. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Okay, time out. I said earlier, one of our tools in reading Revelation is to know or be aware of the Old Testament. This right here, lion of the tribe of Judah, is a reference to someone coming from the tribe of Judah. And within that tribe, the lineage of David in the Old Testament, we know this as Jesus. See, all the way back in Genesis, Jacob tells his son Judah, someone will come from you someday that will rule and people will gather to worship. And the early Christians knew when they heard Lion of Judah on a throne, that would be Jesus. The early Christians knew. Jesus was the person from the Lion of David and the tribe of Judah that would reign next to God the Father who's on the throne. Okay, so back to Revelation 5. John is crying because no one can open this scroll. And somebody in the vision says, do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. He can open it. The lion, roar! Okay, but watch what happens in verse six. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language and people and nation. Chapter four was all about a throne. Chapter five opens with a lion, a ferocious lion. John uses lion to say Jesus without saying Jesus. His readers knew lion of Judah meant Jesus. But immediately John says, the lion is a lamb. And not just a lamb, but a slain lamb, a slaughtered lamb lamb. And all the things around it, the 24 thrones, worshiped it and said, because you were slain, you purchased for God all those who would be forgiven, people from all over the earth. And look at verse 11. 
It says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Worthy is the lamb. The lamb is another Old Testament reference. Many of you know it, uh, many of you don't. I don't have time to go into it all today, but know, know that the slain lamb is a reference to a Jesus who would sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. And there was a message in this for them, and there is a message for you today in 2023. You wanna know who rules next to God the Father who sits on the throne? Jesus, and not because he is a powerful, ferocious animal. Although he is, he rules, he reigns because of his blood shed for you. Jesus' power is in his sacrifice. This is how he overcomes the world. And this is an unpopular thing to say. You ready? He didn't just die so that you could be forgiven and set free from your enemies. And then you can wage a war against all the unholy people who are doing you wrong. No, he presents himself as a slain lamb for them too. I'll tell you, the word lamb is gonna appear 28 times in the book of Revelation. John says, I know you want a lion, but he keeps reminding us, Jesus is a slain lamb. He is a lion, but he is also a lamb. He has the capacity to be ferocious and strong and powerful and rule over people with terror, but instead, Jesus stands in the throne room, a slaughtered lamb who rules because of his sacrifice for you. And what he's saying to us today is that God overcomes the world, not, not through a show of force, but through suffering and the death of Jesus through his suffering and death. By the way, this is not the first time that people had heard this because it was John the Baptist who went around introducing people to Jesus, saying what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But still, this would be shocking to the readers of this letter from John. Not just that Jesus died for them, they knew that, but that he would continue to go back again and again to to not just Jesus as ferocious lion, but Jesus as slaughtered lamb. John tells them in that moment, there is a different meaning to power and judgment and salvation, and it happened on the cross. All right, can I tell you what I've noticed in 2023 that's not so much different than 100 AD? We want an almighty God who will rule the universe with power and force. And and guess what happens? When we want power and force from God, we tend to pursue power and force for God. When we want control from God, we tend to pursue control for God. I need to get divine justice for God. I need to show divine might or strength for God against his enemies. I need to fight a holy war for God. I want force from him, and so I will get it for him. But the image of the lamb who rules, a slain lamb, oh, he's got power and strength and force, but it's through what he did for us not what you want him to do to others. It's through what he conquered in sin and death, not what he will conquer in people that we think of as enemies. He is a lion, but he is a lamb. 
28 times in this book. And I, I wonder if today some of you might need to know that your almighty, powerful God presents himself as a slaughtered lamb, his blood poured out for the sins of the world. And that includes you. And it even includes those who you think of as against you. What expectations have you been putting on God? Are, are you expecting him to step in and tear apart your enemies? Because Jesus died for them too. 24 elders on 24 thrones bow down and worship him because of his mercy and his love. It's the same mercy and love that would save you. There's one other theme in, in these two chapters, and it's that Jesus deserves our worship. The response to a God that is still in control and then would use that control by dying for the forgiveness of sins, it is worship. Holy, holy, holy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Great is the God who sits on the throne. And we're gonna close our service today receiving communion. Think about it, communion is a chance to be reminded of the sacrifice of the lamb. And actually, you know what else it is? It's a chance to realign our thinking with that picture of Jesus, the slain lamb. The way we're gonna do this today is invite you forward to tables around the room. We have some up front and we've got some in the back and, and then some that are kind of halfway up the stadium seating. And, and we have pastors and elders at, at each table today who will give you the elements, but we wanna do something kind of different today. We wanna look you in the eye as we give them to you and say these words, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as we say those words, here's my hope for you today. That, that you would be open to how God wants to show up and take control of your situation, where you need it, whatever it is. And, and that you would remember the way he showed up for you through the shedding of his blood. Derek is going to lead us in a song and... and uh, I'll ask you to stand right now. Would you stand as we'll sing together? And once you see our pastors and our elders in place, would you come join us at the table to remember the Lamb of God? And then you can just take the elements right there in front of us. You don't need to wait to take them together.